the Craft and Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here we explore various approaches to craft and career and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Asher Young. Yale College Class of 17, a New York-based artist, creative director, designer, and producer who began as a musician and a creator of theatrical haunted houses, later expanding into designing and creating and directing theater and music shows. Asher's credits include original works, Nevermore, Inferno, Reverie, creative direction for concert tours and large-scale installations, such as a projection festival with the Beinecke Library at Yale, which I remember very well, quite impressive, living artwork for Sotheby's with collaborations as diverse as Aesop Rocky and Edward Albee Estate, and multiple inventive reimaginings of space and purpose, including serving on the design teams for several new entertainment venues, hotel concepts, and retail projects. Let me add that I knew Asher is an extremely talented and award-winning computer and the arts major at Yale. Asher, it is so great to have you on the Craft and Career Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This is so fun. So, Asher, you were a wonderkin when you were at Yale, and the bio can be read, but I just want to say, like, you know, your your impact and the kinds of projects that you put forward as an undergraduate were exceptional um, and and lingering, right? Like in in the thought process of like, what can an undergraduate really do while they're at Yale? And now you've been doing these amazing other things. So I thought it would be fantastic to have you on the podcast to talk through some of this crazy, crazy, you know, both the timing and where this, where, where our world is as creatives and, yeah. and, and, and what exists out there and the, the, the turmoil, but also one would hope like the, the reacclimation of some of these things. So where do we start with this? We're normally asking the question, even the def- definition of terms, we call the podcast craft and career. Those are weird terms and everyone thinks about slightly different things with those. So let's start with you. So when we say something like a word as big as career, big C career, what does that mean for you when you think about your career? So, you know, it's an interesting question because I don't, you know, my life is not organized in the way that some of my you know, classmates were where, you know, they went to a more traditional job in that way. And so career for me is actually more about arc and, and sort of direction, like the vector of where I'm trying to go and what excites me. And sometimes that means identifying goals and partnerships, places that I want to be a, a creative contributor on or an artist contributor on. And so I think if I were to look back and say, did I have a good career? I would, the, the <laughs> answer would be, did I create work that I was proud of at a scale that was interesting to me? Right. And that sometimes mm-hmm. means scale can mean type of collaborator, type of viewership, or it could even just mean I was exploring work that was meaningful to me. And it sort of depends on the kinds of work that I'm focusing on. And sometimes that's big commercial stuff. And sometimes that's a tiny project that we're doing in a basement somewhere. So for me, it's actually just looking back and feel like, have I been honest and followed the things that have excited me at at the level that I wanted to in terms of career? Yeah, that's interesting. And and quick follow up with that because it, it a couple of things you mentioned, you know, a lot of it had to do with collaboration, right? Right. A lot of it, and a lot of it had to do with like scale and 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 that sort of thing. But in in a sense, if we're going to kind of buttonhole something, it would be you were talking about kind of product, right? As as you look back, accounting for you know, the energies you put in these directions, did, does that seem fair? That like the the career part is actually like 
you know, what does all that effort and energy go into? And then the product is the career? Yeah, I think so. Because I think it's less about the superlatives about what happened, but more like what was created and was it meaningful to people, right? And I think, as you said, that's the work. And what does, and what do those pieces, whatever that product is, sometimes it's more official and sometimes it's more ephemeral. That absolutely is the career. Okay. No, that's great. Okay. So let's disambiguate that from the, yes. the, the craft side of things. And, and actually, even in your answer, there was a lot about the work, right? So, so how can we think of craft? And I know, I mean, just knowing your background, knowing the, the different kinds of things that you've been involved in yeah. craft, we're usually talking about like artistic discipline and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. And you, you've got multiple versions of that and, and, and multiple interests and passions. So if I say something like craft, how many different things and which are the primary things pop into your head when we're talking about your craft? It's always really interesting to hear how people perceive the, like to use your word craft from the exterior, right? Yeah. Um, I think I'll get specific in a second, but from my vantage point, they're actually not different at all, mm. but it's just the expression of the work for a given piece is why it may feel like separate disciplines, right? But actually to me, the craft is the process of creating it and, and sort of searching after whatever that ideal is or narrative is for a given project. And then we just find the expression of it through the different disciplines, right? And so craft in in opposition to career, career is like looking back and what the work was. The craft is very much the process and the, the way we get to the end product or the end piece. Like that is what I'm interested in terms of craft, because sometimes it's following a hologram that we're developing that we'd start as that started developing at Yale that I'm still doing it. I don't know, seven years later and we're still <laughs> iterating and moving through it. Like that is part of the craft and finding a way that tells the story that we want it to, instead of just like, now we have the piece. What's the next thing that's on our plate. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, I, it makes me wonder too, though, with multiple tools, multiple types of engagement, in some cases, as, yeah. you, as you mentioned, it's about moving between and using the right tools for a given project. But when we think of craft, we also think of like discipline. We think of like sort of the exercise of it. Yeah. So what does that look like for you between projects? And maybe it's, I, I'm fascinated to know, you know, how you look at this, right? Because like, it, say someone is a, you know, is a, is a painter, then like they're constantly in a process of perfecting and extending their painting. But what does that look like for you? And when you think of that craftiness of like the exercise of a daily practice to get better, to expand, to to open new horizon, um, how would you look at it in in those terms? So practice is something I very much align with in that as part of my practice, I'm creating something every day, right? And that can take on different mediums and changes from year to year. But for example, right now I'm in the process of calling this thing for this interactive movie, which is many, many years away. But part of every day, I now write a a snapshot memory and then create an image based on that, right? And so at the end of the year, I'm going to then use that to write the script. And so part of the practice is the durational commitment to the work and then understanding when to express it to your point using different tools. But every day, there's, I have several versions of that kind of practice, a commitment to pushing it forward. That is part of my routine, right? And sometimes that is a daily writing. Sometimes that is a, an image generation. Sometimes that is researching a thing I've been obsessed about, uh, like the Nephilim that's, that I've been following for oh, years. Fall, like, yeah. It's a lot of obsession. And in that practice, just continuing to push these ideas in their own lanes forward every single day, a little bit, and just 
even when it's hard to keep pushing it a little bit forward. That's the practice that is sort of takes over my daily practice. The other version of the practice that is not self-motivated is in the context of when we, when I'm brought on to do things that are more commercial, there's an opportunity to pursue practice in an R&D sense in a different context. So bringing ideas that I'm interested in and changing them, but seeing what does it mean to work with a giant inflatable? Oh, I've learned all this stuff when I was did a, did a project in a commercial way. Now I can bring that back to my artwork and understand how to use it to develop the thing I want to do. So there's sort of two levels of practice going at the same time. Okay. Yeah. And it feels like there's a natural amount of fluidity in, and it could be because of what the projects are demanding, what the commercial side is demanding. Right. How do you wrangle that fluidity? How do you come up with like a, going back to the the idea of consistency of practice, like how do you, how do, how are you able to sort of just say, this is the week or this is the month or this is the season <laughs> that I'll be focusing in this direction versus the other? What, what does that look like? I wish I had a uh, a beautiful answer for you. I think it's it's actually very visceral in that I start viscerally feeling upset when I am not creating work like that I am interested in. Like yeah. I viscerally feel it and I become very unhappy. So it's actually uh, very reactionary in that if I try to plan out with my studio, like to make sure things are balanced, but there'll be very clear moments in my life where I'll say, okay, I've indexed way too far on one direction or other. And I need to just stop everything and reprioritize. It becomes very uh, visceral, even though we try our best to plan everything out in the perfect, sure. like two months of <laughs> two months of this and one month of this. Like it's sure, yeah. very, very visceral in that way. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. And last bit in, in this direction, and we might unpack this a little bit further yeah. later, but, but wondering to that balance in terms of, you know, you have an interesting spread, as you mentioned, between commercial zone engagement and like kind of personal like passion project engagement. Yeah. How do you weight and balance that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and, and, and to, to hit deadline, but also keep, you know, those meaningful projects moving forward? So I think there's the commercial stuff is pretty easy because there are deadlines. And so like that comes when it comes and you have to figure it out. The passion project stuff is harder in that what you have to do is set up benchmarks for yourself. So for example, when I said earlier that, that the daily story, I know I'm using that to then write something later, right? Or I'm working on the hologram that I started at Yale. We're having it presented this spring at a light festival in New York. And that now forces me to make sure I hit that deadline and understanding my goals with it may not be the final goal, but like, okay, here's the set of things I want to accomplish this time with this iteration of the piece. So a lot of it is, yes, both creating the work for yourself, but also finding ways and when you want to present it to the world that I'm then trying to treat as deadlines, right? With the team saying, I actually have to hit this thing. So let's try to make carve out time to do this in amongst all the other stuff that's going on. That's great. I mean, that, that actually sounds like you're in a sense, you're using the structured commercial <laughs> frame in not to dictate, but at least like to set some 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 pathways to set some limit limiters or, or set some spacing um, for the, the passion project. D does that work? <laughs> yeah, it definitely works. And I think also because the nature of the work, in, like, yes, starts with me, but involves so many other people sure. that I have to honor their time, right? For those who are not my employees. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, making sure I can say, okay, great. Here's the idea. I want you to come back with me in two weeks after you, the programmer, you develop 
this interface for me and I want to then look at it together. So it, it naturally also becomes part of the practice, given the fact there's so many other people involved, sure. whereas I think if it was just a personal practice that didn't have that prong approach, I think it'd be a lot harder to hold myself accountable because I would just be like, what am I feeling like today? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So slight pivot, but in the right. same vein, like the crafty side, right? Your, your, your arts, arts right. intensive. What's inspiring you right now? You mm. and your craft and your projects in general, like what, whether that's reading, writing, engaging in other ways, you know, uh, things, that perform, performances you're going to, immersive experiences that you've been a part of. What's, what's really feeding you right now? So I'm someone who has to have a lot of inputs, right? I similarly become very upset when that doesn't happen. And so, you know, I'm reading a book right now, A Tale for a Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Oh, that's fantastic. It's such a good book. Right. And like, yeah. I don't know how my opinions about it yet, but like, All right. okay, I won't flavor you, but it is, it is pretty fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, so far, it's great. That's an example of a book I'm reading, or I'm also following this. Uh, I'm doing research on, uh, do you know about the ghost army? No. So in World War II, there was a division of about like a thousand to 2000 soldiers by the U.S. commission that only recently got declassified that were recruited and they had inflatable tanks. They had... <laughs> speakers on the back of trucks and they simulated battalions of 30,000, 40,000 men moving through space. But it was like a thousand artists who would like had inflatable tanks and would, and would create tracks in the dirt and on their free time would, would paint the scenes that they did like for themselves in their like tin cans or whatever. And so (laughs) this is everything to say, like I was looking at that. And then I was also in, I was just in South Korea and I was in this neighborhood called Ijiro, which is like a, printing press area. So for me, it's actually about having a huge amount of stuff around me for me to actually then see what speaks to me and sticks with me. And where do I find the things that I want to continue to research, right? Whether the ghost army is something that I continued, but as I have all the stimulus, what's exciting. And then there's like categories of like documentaries of, I just watched this movie that really affected me. Do you know Dior and I? No. So a documentary about Raph Simmons, who is a fashion designer, who was made creative director of Dior in 2015, I believe. And it, it's about him having to create a collection in eight weeks and his process of doing it. And it's like very emotional and very powerful, even though it's actually less about the art that he creates and more about like how he got there. So that's like a huge spectrum of stuff. Of course. Yeah. Today, yeah. if you ask me today, <laughs> tomorrow, it's going to be totally different. Yeah. And, and in that process, and particularly because... It's it's such an open channel, right? How do you differentiate and how do you annotate the parts, you know, once you begin the sense of like something's something's itching, something's percolating, do you journal, do you pull things out, do you mock up some stuff because you know it's there? And then how do you keep that separate? And and I I you know, a lot of artists I've spoke with have this feeling of like when to turn it on or off, when to be overly analytical, overly critical, and when you just really need to fill the tank back up with good art, with good engagement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you navigate that? Well, I think the absorption part is, is, as you said, is like constant. I can't really turn that off. Right. And so even if it's going to a gallery or museum in a very traditional context, I'm taking photos of everything, even if I don't like it. And that is just giving me fodder for later. And I know that I'm sort of building up, as you said, the tank that I can then reference later in terms of journaling and things like that. I start categorizing images or references into places in my life. And sometimes that's simple as Pinterest. <laughs> like if it's a visual image category that I want to keep that it goes there, or it's actually somehow speaks to me in a more visceral way. I start printing it out and putting it up mm. in spaces. And so 
you know, there's a huge vault of information. And then what comes out of that vault into physical space often is what I'm thinking about in a more tangible way. And then, as you said, when do you be critical? I think the critical part when I'm doing work as part of a larger thing, that's not just for myself, actually is freeing because I can go to all of this wealth of stuff that I've collected and start picking the things that I think are relevant in terms of whether it's just their visual iconography or whether it is their purpose or history, that becomes a very, like I'm going into my own museum and I start pulling things out of it, right? What the critical part for myself, that takes much longer and is a process of, let me collect all the things that are interest me. Let me put it to the side and let me come back with new context. And that can be a day or that could be years. And then saying, do I have new context? Great. Or is this stuff still the right source material for me to respond to? And that just iterates and iterates and iterates on its own timeline versus, you know, when I'm picking for other things. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to distinguish. All right. So you've mentioned collaboration and, and working with people and people who aren't on the payroll, but they, you know, you still have like a, a collaborative engagement with them. Can we talk more about your I'll call it community of practice. That can mean a lot of different things for people. What does that mean for you? How important is it? And how have you built that, established that, nurtured that over time? It's so important. I mean, I think community of practice is, for me also, is so many different disciplines, right? I work with chefs to painters, you know, to architects, right? And so how do I build it? This is going to sound obvious, but... I find people's work that I like and I just talk to them. <laughs> and sometimes they don't want to talk to me and that's okay. <laughs> but but I think that that is one methodology that I spend a lot of time. And sometimes that's through friends. Sometimes that's through artists. But I find that finding the things that I'm attracted to or work that I'm attracted to, even if I don't have a project or specific thing that I want to do with those people, just trying to understand how each other think is actually the most valuable part. So then when that opportunity comes along, whether it's self-generated or external, we already understand each other and and have sort of a baseline shared knowledge of what we care about to then actually create something. So I think the answer is yes, super important. How do you build it? Just start talking to everyone and find the people that you like versus find the people you also don't connect with, right? And that that is equally valuable in that process. And it's it's just a... It's just a numbers game, sadly. You know, mm-hmm. It's just about like, oh, I met this person. There's something I like about them, something I really don't like about them. Is it worth spending more time on it? Actually, let's check in in six months instead of next week or whatever. So sure, you know, that's, yeah. that's how it goes. Is the identification of the people that you maybe don't, you're not perfectly simpatico with, is that to make sure you know that you continue to have like sort of a critical perspective, people who maybe don't understand your work as well, but you still want to be engaging with them because you want that perspective as part of the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I, actually funny enough, I love people who don't like my work in, in a deep way, as long as it's coming from a place of respect. If yeah. I, you know, I mean, I think because those people actually we push each other the most, right? Obviously the people, the half-half also comes from, I think there's a, there's a category of people on both sides of the coin that are either not critical enough of their own work. So that as a result feels incredibly like following fads that are happening in the moment. And I have deep appreciation for that work. And so that's why I'm friends with them sometimes. But sometimes they they don't want to go deeper, right? And and those people I find really exciting to have part of my life, but that's not the entirety of my existence. And so I also sure, have to have yeah. the other existence of people who are really critical and really thinking about the work. But I actually think both are really healthy. 
but I just have to have an understanding of where I see them in relationship to that for myself. So I'm, I understand what their goals are and what they care about because equally are both of them are important, but they're just different. And so sure. not miscategorizing someone because then ultimately the collaboration we do, if, I, if we do it in the wrong way, they won't create good work either. So like that, mm-hmm. it's part of, it's like a, it's a learning to understand how yeah. in what environments make the most sense to work together. And not just it's building the community with all the same kind of relationship or the repetition of the same relationship between the the whole team, right? Like, like I like, I like that. Yeah, I, I think I understand that. I wondered too, how important was the community build for from your time at Yale? Uh, do you still stay connected with relations and those sorts of things? What what did that mean to you? Yeah, no, I mean, Yale was absolutely incredible. I mean, I think there's no doubt that some of my closest collaborators are still from my time at Yale or, or had a moment in Yale in their lives, right? I think that the network and, and the time. So like even this, it's funny that we're talking today because even late night over my friend and I, uh, we're messaging. He, he's a Yale a year above me, but we were messaging about the difference between art and design, <laughs> at like <laughs> at like some late hour last night. But feels very akin to the conversation we're having today. But those relationships are extra, incredibly valuable, and we continue to collaborate together all the time. And often those relationships are ones that come from shared understanding, just from context, right? So I can reference something that I did at Yale and the something they did at Yale. And then all of a sudden we, we, we've skipped days and days of onboarding. So right. that happens all the time. And, and those people tend to mostly be in like architecture, art, you know, those spaces. But I will say the like fun surprise of it all is also the support of the people who are not in those, the arts community that also just want to go see things that are happening, that that mm. has also been an incredible surprise and like love and that there's a different kind of community also coming from people who want to support the people from their time at Yale. So, you know, those are the two fields that are happening at the same time. That's great. All right. So let's shift over from craft to career. Mm. Um, okay. So steps along the way, tell, tell us a little bit about kind of the defining at Yale to moving past Yale to, you know, making your way through and, and sort of defining what, what this, what you are now, and even moving forward, what you will become. What does yeah. that look like? So if we go all the way back, I grew up in New York City. Uh, I started as a magician as a kid, which you know was hilarious, at, and but ultimately became a professional magician while being in the city. Um, wow. Simultaneously, I one year my mother dressed me up as in a in a cat costume or was a cow costume. I can't remember, but <laughs> uh, I made me trick or treating, and you know I really hated it. And so I started doing haunted houses instead and making basically theatrical experiences that would take over an apartment. And of course it was terrible to begin with, but uh, (laughs) I kept doing it for years and years and years. And then I all of a sudden was like gutting apartments and doing it all over the place that mixed with also working at EDM festivals in the city on my weekends, like working a concert for 48 hours straight at Roseland ballroom, which is a venue that no longer exists. All of that was like my precursor, you know, that the mix of magic theater, haunted houses, concerts before I got to Yale. So, and that was like a gift of New York city. I would say like, I don't think many places in the world would allow a 15 year old or 13 year old was allowed to do these things at the time. But when I got to Yale, I actually felt pretty clear in sort of the direction of my life. And so Yale became like an incredible place because I knew that this was a place for me to grow. Right. 
and and also I, I could treat it differently than I had treated high school of like getting into a good school. Da, da, da. Now I, I had made it there and said, this is a place for me to meet people. Yes, learn a bunch of stuff, expand my mind, but also it's a playground, right? And so that became a really, it took me about a, a year at Yale to figure that out. But once I figured it out, I was like, now this makes sense to me. And now I understand how to interact with this space to create cool things and things I was excited about. So while I was at Yale during the summers, I would like, I worked at design firms in New York city. So I worked at like a, it was called ESI designs, which is sort of a interactive media architecture place that did a lot of things with museums as well as lobbies and a lot of corporate development stuff. And when I say corporate development, I mean like real estate development's not like, uh, you know, <laughs> and then I also met and started working and interning for the producer of Sleep No More in New York city. And so I interned for him one summer and was helping come up with ideas for shows and all this kind of stuff. And when I was graduating Yale, I went to go visit him and he said, I had always planned I was going to go start my own thing immediately after college and just start doing it. He said to me, uh, who's going to hire you? And I was like, no one's going to hire me. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he started his own, he was about to start his own, comp another company. He had a bunch of different companies with a bunch of his shows, but he was starting a new entity. And he asked me to be employee number zero, right? And so I then worked for him after Yale for three, over three years. And that was an incredible gift because I was able to like develop all the new shows. We did everything from working at Sotheby's to circuses to all this other stuff. And <laughs> it was a great opportunity to also build, you know, it was not the kind of studio that I was building, but it had similar things that I was interested in. And so, you know, when I left, there were 12 people, right? It was like, and I was person number zero. So that was sort of the, the springboard for them when I left in October, 2019 to start my own studio. And those relationships are still incredibly valuable today. And throughout it all, I now take those people or the people that I met uh, or people that I was able to hire for projects that I now, that are now my collaborators. Like th that was actually a really valuable time in that way. And now I run my own studio. And so that to me, <laughs> you know, I will never say it's the end goal, but I, I think what's different about it is I am trying to pursue the things that interest me and hopefully my team as well, but it's coming from my center. And so that is why I feel pretty comfortable in the way that this feels like a long time home because it's trying to build the people around me that I'm excited about, but also pursue the kinds of projects and, and work that are interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. I, that, that lands us in your modern perspective, right? Like the, the, the context that you have right now. Right. And you've hinted at a, a little bit, you told us a little bit in terms of what the kinds of things in the balance between the yeah. personal projects versus commercial. Tell us more about what it actually kind of logistically looks like uh, a daily, a daily practice. Yeah. The brass tacks of like you wake up on a given day, a given week, like what, what does it really look like to you know, make it through that week and accomplish what you want to accomplish? Yeah. Great question. Cause there's no week that's the same, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll talk about last year actually. Cause I feel like sure. it, talking about it pretty tangibly is I think the way through it is we did a project. We, we had an installation of the book in Botanical Gardens last year at the, at the, that was finishing up in January. Right. And so my day-to-day -day was making sure that that was still working and nothing was broken. I wasn't getting emails, <laughs> for, you know, like the, the laser is down or whatever, working on that. And then also working on some shows that are coming. So what does that mean from the show development for the shows that were happening day-to-day? -day, it's like making sure, do we have the right cast? Is our team ready? Is the, are the designs finished? Like a lot of that is with the producing side of the organization, but it all funnels back to what is the show that we're creating. 
So practically every day is going through our list of projects and making sure that everything is on track, right? And even if that, even if my day today is, I'm going to go work on the hologram with the team and I'm not going to spend anything else that pushes that forward a little bit. Um, and so, and then tomorrow I'm going to spend all day on casting this new show that we're coming next year. And then, oh no, I have to go fly to this place. We, we directed a, a K-pop show last year that was half theater, half concert, right? Let me go check on it to see how the things that we thought we were doing, how are they doing? Are they planning out the way that we thought they were? Do they need help? And so the mixture of the day-to-day, week-to-week is, I would say, half, 50% pushing new projects forward, and then 25% looking back at projects that are on that are up and running, and then 25% of meeting new people to figure out what the next thing is. So that may not be as specific answer as you want, but it, it's like truly no formula. Of course. Now, energetically, that's, that gives us like a, a sense of like the rhythm and pace and, 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 you know, constant build of, of, of the process. The only part that I think is also really important is that so much of the practice is meeting people. Like, yes, it's, it, and that, so that is where like the, not that it's a nine to five job, but like nine to five is like work. And then five to 10 <laughs> is work, but it's a different kind of work. I mean, like that's right, the, like, right. it's the reality of what's going yeah. on. Yeah. That's the owning the business and being an entrepreneur part of it. Yes, um, exactly. Which, uh, you know, and, and it's not, I mean, that's something else we can unpack a little, you know, maybe, maybe further down the road, but right. um, that is a, a, an important distinction and one that you've sort of, you've embraced and sort of, you know, thrust yourself into like uh, this, this dichotomy of, of who you are and, and what you're doing on a daily basis. Wondering if you have, um, and this will probably, uh, we, we probably can't stuff any more into this first episode. So just one, one more uh, question, but uh, wondering if you could give us an anecdote of it's kind of a telling example of what this industry that you're a part of. And I know it's kind of, it's multi-industry, right? But that tells us what we need to know about the feel and, and flair of, of the kinds of places that you work and how you engage. This is a really hard question. Uh, <laughs> it's a really hard question. I would say there are two little store, two little things. I mean, I think the the first one is pretty boring, right? But um, I think it's has in recent years been so much more clear to me than I think in years before. Over COVID, everything stopped, right? And we were like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? Like, can I keep everyone on going? All that kind of stuff. And I got a phone call two months in from a real estate developer that I had met four years earlier. And I had met him one for an hour in one of his buildings. And he called me up and said, I'm building a new park. I would love to add an art installation to it. Can, can you create something? Right. And I'm incredibly thankful for him because that, you know, kept us going during that time. But I tell that first story just to say, you know, that, Four years ago, I had like basically forgotten this person existed, right? right? <laughs> one hour, four years ago. Yeah. And so you, it went out four years ago. And so, you know, I think the thing that is indicative of this kind of work is that you never know what seed you've planted that will come back around at a later date. So I think that like is a very boring practical thing, but it has become so real in the work that we do that it's about making sure that those seeds are there and people know how to get to you when the, when the moment is right. I think the other stories are like, I was, everyone sees the final product of a show, which is always exciting, whether that be an installation or whatever, but you know, they never see the, 
you know, I read it a circus, right? And a circus is a circus, right? <laughs> you know, like people live there, you're there at two in the night, like the families are there, like, and it's amazing, but it, you know, and that community is amazing. But I would say like, you know, these are real people in what we're doing. This is not like a corporate pursuit, right? So someone gets sick, something happens with someone's dog or like, you know, someone has a bad day. Like all of that is the nature of it. Or I was at it in a show where like, the set collapse or like, you know, all this crazy things happen all the, all the time. And it's just about understanding what is this central tenant of what you're doing on a given project, because it, that's going to happen when you're dealing with so many people and so much complexity that happens all the time. And understanding this show is about building new relationships between people. Okay, great. We don't have that entire set piece anymore. That's okay. That the purpose of that, this is to build new relationships between people. How can we do that another way? Right. And, and that is sort of the fundamental part of the practice because it's too hard all the time to, if you think about it, if you're trying to do it the other way, at least in my world. That's fantastic. And, and both, both telling examples and kind of extreme in their different ways, but also speaking towards, I actually think a hopefulness a hope, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the mix of everything else, right? Like I, I started this in framing by how difficult the last couple of years has been in general right. for the arts, arts communities. But like both of your stories actually had like a, a sense of like, whether you see it behind the scenes or not, there's something very human. And there's also like a, a something where you're, you're waiting and hoping. And, and oftentimes it's through human connection where those things come about. My team always tells me all the time, you know, these projects, because we're reaching for things are always hard, right? And so like, you, people have to want to do them with you, right? <laughs> you, you know, and that's, that's the, the critical part, right? And if they don't want to do it with you, then they'll find, they'll find another project because, you know, these projects are not like, we're not doing something with Microsoft's keynote, right? Which, you know, I have so much respect for those people who do that, but like, that's a different game than different, what yeah. we're doing, you know? That's fantastic. So, okay, we're going to call it at that. And then we're, I'm looking forward to coming back around and picking this back up with you. Uh, Asher, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in a few. Sounds good. Thanks again, Asher, for such an invigorating introductory conversation. And to our faithful audience, please check back in next week as we bring Asher back to further explore the challenges and rewards of his innovative practice. Until next time, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty. Mm -hmm.